Well, today is the last message as we have worked our way through the book of 1 Peter in the New Testament. Peter ends his letter, chapter 5 of 1 Peter. He ends his letter with a discussion, with an encouragement for the church. And if you can tell by the clock and the other activities of the day, we will not have sufficient time for me to cover all of this, especially with our second service starting uh, at its regular time. But I do want to let you know, I've studied long and hard on this, and this Wednesday night, I've already prepared that we're going to be discussing and sharing more of the content of this beautiful passage of Scripture from 1 Peter chapter 5. I'd invite you to join us Wednesday at 7 o'clock in room 509. We're going to have a great time working our way through this passage. But for this morning, uh, I want to share with you a few of the highlights of 1 Peter chapter 5 as it talks about here uh, a focus on the church, a healthy church. How it is, it is through the church that the hope of Jesus Christ is extended to the world. There's lots of other organizations out there that do wonderful things for the gospel, and, and certainly there are partners in many ways. But God has ordained the church in order to offer the hope of Jesus to the world. Now, as Peter uh, ends here, he encourages the church to live in hope and to share hope. In fact, if you look down to verse number 12, in verse 12 we see the key verse of chapter 5. And it says there, Peter is concluding his letter, and he says, I've written briefly to you, exhorting or encouraging and declaring or preaching this, that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Four words that are so powerful. Stand firm in it. In it. Would you say those four words with me? Stand firm in it. Stand firm in the gospel. Stand firm in Jesus. When life is tough, when life is difficult, when you're suffering for your faith, when you're standing on the mountaintop or in the depths of the valley, stand firm in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gospel how it changes lives all throughout history. We thank you for the gospel that Jesus brought into the world as he came to be our Savior. We thank you for the gospel that changes lives like Preston Andrews, changes lives like Howard and Sue Parton, changes lives like mine and many others who will simply put their faith and their trust and their hope in you. Thank you for that great hope. May we be reminded of it now as we consider the church in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you were to read through 1 Peter chapter 5, you're going to find a lot of Peter's experiences with Jesus interjected into this final part of the gospel, or the final part of the letter that he's writing. And he's writing about a healthy church. And a healthy church is a church that offers hope. And I want to be a part of a church that offers hope to the people that attend, amen? And hope to the people that are on the outside in the community, Hope to the people that desperately need it through Jesus Christ. I want to be a part of that kind of church. And assuming by your presence here today that you also want to be a part of that kind of church. You may say amen to that? Amen. You want to be a part of that kind of church. Let me give you four very brief, all too brief encouragements about uh, this passage of Scripture. These are encouragements to you and I about how we can be a part of a healthy church, a hope-filled church, and a church that is to take the gospel out into the highways and the byways all around. Encouragement number one, verses one to four, be faithful. 
be faithful. You know, there's, there's many ways to, un, to be unfaithful. But here in the midst of all those, Peter says to us, be faithful. This, this passage, verses 1 to 4, is written to the leaders of the church called the elders. It's written to the leaders. They're, they're pastors, elders, deacons, trustees, Sunday school teachers, whatever you want to call it down through history. If you have spiritual authority or spiritual oversight responsibilities in the church, verses 1 to 4 are targeted to you with the encouragement, be faithful. In verse 1 he begins, so I exhort. That word exhort means to encourage. So Peter's saying, I want to encourage you as the leaders of the church, the elders among you. And Peter writes that he writes as a fellow elder. He's not writing as one above who doesn't, who's above where they are. No, he's right there with them. He's not writing as somebody distant from them. No, he knows exactly what it means to be an elder, a leader, a pastor in a church. He says, I'm one of you. And he also says he's writing as a witness of the sufferings of Christ. He says, I saw personally and firsthand what Jesus did. And he's also writing, recognizing the future, as he says, I'm also a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Aren't you looking forward to that day when the glory of God is revealed through Jesus Christ? So with that being said, he says this in verse number 2 to the leaders of the church. He says, shepherd the flock. Be a shepherd of the flock of God that is, that is your church, that is your community. It might be a house church of 12 people. It might be a mega church of 12,000 people. Whatever it is and whatever your role, be a good shepherd. Be one who will, who will guide, who will lead, who will encourage and correct, who will protect, who will feed, who will disciple, who will teach, who will preach, who will set the example for. Be the kind of person as a leader who will be faithful in carrying out the role of a shepherd for the flock. Now, what does that look like? Verses 2 and 3, he gives us a job description for a faithful church leader. If you're a leader or you know of a leader here at the church or you aspire to be a leader in the church, see if this, uh, if this list applies to you and to those around us. I'm going to have to be all too brief here. A good leader is one who is exercising oversight there in verse 2. An overseer, not an overlord, is a big difference. Somebody who's exercising godly leadership is somebody who's not under compulsion, but willingly. I remember going to seminary with a couple of people that I thought, you know, I, why are you here preparing to be in the ministry? And you have a, a brief conversation, and you find out, well, my daddy was a pastor, and my granddaddy was a pastor. I didn't have a choice. I'm going to be a pastor. And I'm thinking, well, knowing you, you're not going to be a very good one because you're not here for the right reason. Just because your daddy was doesn't mean you should be. Be who God's called you to be. Be there willingly. Also, uh, shepherd the flock as God would have you. You see, one of the greatest temptations of a leader in a Sunday school class, as a pastor, as a missionary, one of the greatest temptations is to put your stamp on everything and to make it all about you. But it's not. It's, it do things as God would have you. The most important thing any of us can do is to do what Jesus would do to do what Jesus would have us to do. And there have been circumstances in my life, like in yours, where we, we recognize that we would want to do this and we want to avoid that, but God calls us to do that and not do this. We have to put God first. Then he says this, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Don't go into a position of leadership in your church as a lay leader, 
as a minister. Don't go into it for what you can get out of it. It's not about the money. It's not about the position. It's not about the prestige. It's not about the selfish ambition. It's got to be all about Jesus. Then he says this in verse 3, not domineering over those in your charge. It's not the pastor's job. It's not the Sunday school teacher's job. It's not the deacon's job to dictate what happens in the church. I'm waiting for an amen on that one. It's not our job to dictate what happens in the church. It's our job to lead the church to the dictates of God. What does He want us to do? So not being domineering, but being examples to the flock. You know, the hardest thing in the world is to ask people to do something you yourself are not doing. So if I'm going to ask of you to be a tither and to give of your income to God, to follow the Scripture, I've got to set the example. And I do that. If I'm going to encourage you to, to go out and to share your faith and use the invite card uh, with, with your friends and neighbors and loved ones, then I've got to do it myself. And I've been doing that. If I'm going to stand here and encourage you to be people of prayer, then I've got to make sure I am a prayer. And, and I do that. Am I perfect? No. Am I a perfect pastor? No. Have I got flaws? Absolutely. I'm not going to be as blunt as Preston was this morning, but I'm not perfect. But if you're going to be a leader in a church at whatever level of leader you are, you have to be willing to set the example. See, it's important for pastors and for leaders to do one thing, and that is to keep the gospel first. Keep the gospel first. Say that with me. Keep the gospel first over and above everything we do. And we also have to keep the end in sight. When we know where we're going and where we're headed and what's coming, it makes the price we pay and the difficulties we go through and the struggles we face at every level, it makes them much more bearable. Verse 4, Peter says, when the chief shepherd appears, you know who that is, right? He says to the leaders, you shepherd the flock, but when the chief shepherd comes, that's Jesus. The chief shepherd is not the deacon and not the pastor. The chief shepherd is Jesus. And when the chief shepherd appears, notice this, you will receive the unfading crown of of glory. There will be a reward. There will be a glorious eternal life to look forward to. Jesus will make everything all right. All the way back up in verse number one, Peter says he is a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. It's coming, and oh, what a glory it's going to be. And so, leaders, and I'm speaking to leaders here in our church, be faithful. Secondly, as a church, be humble. Be humble. Here in verses 5 to 7, it speaks of the younger. And the younger certainly identifies those who are younger in age by their years, but also those who are younger in the faith. It may be an older person in their 60s, 70s, or 80s or more, but it may be a new believer. And so even a man who's 85 years old or a woman who's 76 years old, I'm not going to ask anybody's ages here today, but even no matter what your age, if you become a believer at the age of 76 or 85 or 92, you're a young believer. And so those who are younger in the faith, those who are younger, and really to all the members of the church, we're called to, to be humble. And, and in fact, humility is mentioned three times here. Three times. And it's important. This word humility means to be low-lying in spirit. It's a picture of John when, when he saw Jesus coming. And John said in, in John chapter 1, he said, I must decrease, that's humility, so that he might increase. And we have to take that same tone. And being humble, we have to exhibit humility. If you're a member of the church, we're called to exhibit humility towards our leaders, the leaders of the church, the, those who serve on, 
on our stewardship team, those who serve in our Sunday school connect groups, those who serve as deacons, those who serve as Awana leaders, those who serve in, 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 as youth chaperones, and whatever level of structure a church has, the, the church members are called to, to, be, to be humble and ex express humility towards their leaders. Notice it says, likewise, those who are younger be subject to the elders, the elders of the church, not just by age, but by position. This word subject is a military term. It means to rank under. Consider yourself to rank under those who are the elders, those who are the leaders in the church. Follow the leadership of the church. And, and listen, this is why it's so important that in verses 1 to 4, Peter laid out uh, the call to leaders to be faithful. If you get leaders who are egotistical or money-driven or power-hungry, then, then you're going to have uh, potential for leadership to go haywire in the church and for the gospel to go out the window. You don't want that kind of church, and you don't want that kind of leader. That's why it's important for the leader to be faithful. But then you, you have the member who's going to be uh, practice humility towards the leader. So you're going to have the right leaders, and then you're going to have the right members and guess what you're going to have then you're going to have the right kind of church a church of hope leaders that depend upon the hope of Jesus members who are following the leadership of the church and reaching out to their community and you'll have a church of hope so so humility towards leaders but also we're called to be humble and express humility towards all believers towards each other none of us are better than anybody else in this congregation Y'all a little quiet this morning. Are you not? You still hung over from Turkey? I don't know, but I'm, I'm looking for some good amens today. It's going to be brief, and it's going to be even briefer if you get a good amen or two in there. <laughs> Humility towards each other. Notice verse 5. Clothe yourselves, all of you, the oldest to the youngest, the wisest to the most foolish, the, the, the most educated to the most illiterate, the, the one who's been there the longest to the one who just walked in the door for the first time. It says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. This sense of lowliness, of counting others more important and better. When you get a crowd of people that is humble one towards the other, you miss out on a lot of the divisiveness and, and, and fighting and bickering that characterizes so many churches and drives wedges and tears them apart. And the gospel goes out the window, as I said a minute ago. And, and, and what you miss out on is the gospel. Here is what we see. Be humble toward one another. Did you know in the, in the New Testament there are 59 verses that, that have the phrase one another? I preached through these not too long ago. 59 verses that tell believers how to act towards one another. Among them are these. Love one another. Serve one another. Pray for one another. Honor one another. Accept one another. Greet one another. Forgive one another. Submit to one another. Bear with one another. Teach one another. Encourage one another. Spur one another on. I like that one a lot. Amen. But relate to one another with humility. And thirdly, we're to have humility towards God. That's the most important thing. We have humility toward We're to recognize our state of who we are and God's state of who He is, and we're to, to humble ourselves in, in, in the presence of God. And listen, it determines God's response. Notice in verse 5, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Which side do you want to be on? <laughs> do you want to be on the side that God opposes? Or do you want to be on the side that God gives grace to? I want to be on the side God gives grace to. Who does He give grace to? The humble. Humility towards God brings His reward. Notice verse 6. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time He may exalt you. Who does God exalt? Not the smartest in the crowd, not the best looking, not the one who thinks so much of themselves. God exalts the humble. 
It, it, would, it, would, it would behoove us to be humble. And then humility secures God's care. Notice verse 7. Casting all your anxiety on Him, all of them, because He cares for you. He cares for you. Notice thirdly, the third encouragement is to be watchful. Verses 8 to 11 tell us to be sober-minded and to be watchful. Why are we to be watchful? Why would it be? It's a picture of a, of, a, of a guard on a guard tower securing a city or a guard on a guard tower securing a fort. It's a picture of somebody who knows there's a potential for attack. Why is it that we need to be watchful? It's because we have an enemy. We have an enemy. In verse 8, it tells us that we have an adversary, the devil. And he prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. That picture that we see in the scripture is a blunt, honest assessment of who Satan is and who we are in response. And I'm going to tell you something. We have an enemy. He is the devil. And he's stronger than I am. And he's stronger than you are. But our hope in Jesus overcomes the devil. See, that's why it's so important that as believers that we exhibit that humility towards God and not dare to think that we're strong enough in our own might to accomplish things for God or to stand against the, the wiles of the devil. We can't do either one on our own. And the minute we walk out there by ourselves, we don't have the protection and leadership of God and we're setting ourselves up to be attacked by the devil. So we have to be watchful. And when we are, our hope in Jesus overcomes the devil. Notice verse 9. Resist him. Firm in your faith. That's where the hope comes in. That's where the protection comes in. That's where the, the victory comes in. We're firm. Not in our own abilities. I'm firm in my faith. That's different than who I am. I'm firm in my faith towards God. In verse 10, God will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Verse 11, to him, to God, to the, our Lord Jesus, be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. I, I love it where it says in verse 11, to him be the dominion. Normally it says to him be the power and the glory forever and ever. And those are wonderful verses. But here's one of the times it says to him be dominion. That word dominion means over all control, over all authority, over all power, over all things. And, and it reminds us that though the devil may be like a roaring lion, and though we may be someone who could be devoured, our Lord Jesus Christ has dominion over anything the devil might throw at us. Be watchful. And then lastly, all too quickly, be peaceful. Be peaceful. Verses 12 to 14. I have been told before by someone in walking into the worship service at Ridgecrest Baptist Church when this person was going through an extremely difficult time of life, walking in and sitting down before the service ever began, a sudden rush and presence of peace enveloped them. That's a great testimony for a church, isn't it? There are a lot of churches where that can't be said. Notice verse 12, the purpose of this letter. I mentioned it at the very beginning. The purpose of this letter is exhorting or encouraging and declaring that this is the true grace of God. The purpose of the letter is that we might know the grace of God 
and stand firm in the grace of God. Why did Peter write this letter? How, as we now get to the concluding few words, what is he trying to say? He's saying, listen, the purpose is to know the Lord and to stand firm in the Lord. And when you do, the hope of Christ will be in you and will flow through you and you will be exactly who and where and doing what God has called you to do. The purpose of the letter is that we might stand firm in Christ and notice the response to the letter. He's calling for a response. And it's a response that we should not just give on one occasion when we hear it. It wasn't just for the believers in the first century that received this letter. It's a response for you and I today. And two responses. One is to celebrate. Don't you love to celebrate? Amen? Y'all a little sour this morning. Y'all, y'all, what, what? I'm giving you some cues here. Don't you love to celebrate? Where's them state fans? Y'all love to celebrate yesterday? Somebody around here? Notice what it says here, verse 14. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Celebrate. Celebrate the fact that the love of God is in your midst. Celebrate it. Greet each other. Be glad to see. Don't, don't see somebody and turn and walk the other direction. Don't cross on the opposite sides of the hall. Don't, don't, don't you go this way and they go that way. Make things right. Love the Lord Jesus Christ. Be humble towards one another and see what God will do. And when you see each other, let it be with a kiss of love. And, and listen, I'm all, about, I'm all about the air kiss, you know? Ow. That's it. That's it, man, right there. That's it. Might be better just stick with a high five or elbow bump. Let's just say that the elbow bump is the 2018 version of the holy kiss. So whatever, whatever it is. No, not even that. You know what? When you love each other, you greet each other with celebration and enthusiasm. And secondly... The second response is this, live in hope. Do you know what hope leads to? Hope leads to peace. Peace with God. Peace with God and peace with each other. God who has forgiven you of so much, how dare we hold things against other people? Peace with God and peace with one another. The conclusion of 1 Peter is it is a letter written to the church, about the church, for the church, exhibiting the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. I'd invite you right where you are. Would you just bow your head and close your eyes for just a moment? For just a moment. And would you just ask the Lord today to help you to see the hope that He provides through the church? And right now, and even in in, in the days to come, would you pray for the leadership of Ridgecrest Baptist Church to be faithful? Go back and read these verses. We'll talk about them on Wednesday night. Be faithful. Would you pray for the members of the church, all of us, to be humble? Would you pray that all of us would be watchful because our enemy is out to get us? And would you pray that this might be a congregation of people that is peaceful? How do we get there individually? What do we do as a church? We turn our eyes upon Jesus. Our Heavenly Father, today we turn our eyes upon you with great hope and expectation because you are the God who saves sinners, who sets our feet on the solid rock, 
who gives us great hope and sends us out into this world equipped to offer that hope to everyone that we will encounter. Thank you, Lord, for the church. May it continue to strengthen. And in this day and time, this age, this culture that is changing so rapidly, would you equip us and propel us forward to reach men and women and boys and girls for Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen.